Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the February 19, 2023 session, focusing on Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Bigger. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm David Adams. And I'm Burt Montgomery. Well, uh, we hope that uh, our friend Daniel Glaze is feeling better. Uh, he is unable to be with us this episode because he has tested positive for COVID. And Aww. even though we record this over um, Zoom, <laughs> he's, not, he's not feeling the best. So so we hope, Daniel, you, you feel better soon. But we're glad David Adams is here with us. Uh, hey, David. Hey. David's a regular, and uh, and we look forward to uh, to having you back with he's, us. Today. He's irregular. Is that what you said? <laughs> well, that too. He's a regular something. <laughs> so my question for you today, as we get started, is related to mountains. And of course, the, the idea of a mountain is relative. You know, some for some people, mountains are only mountains if they're you know like Rocky Mountains not the little hills we have in North Arkansas or wherever. But I'm going to leave that in your, your interpretation. But what's a memorable experience you've had on or near a mountain? The first one that comes to my mind is one that uh, my wife and I experienced that we had because we're both surprised we, we lived through it. <laughs> we were with my, my wife's cousin who insisted we were driving in upstate New York, and he saw from way down on the road, down in this valley, way up on this hill, way out in front of us, I mean a mountain in front of us, in the middle, way up high on that mountain, covered in trees, covered in woods, covered in nothing, was a little white house. And he was determined, we're going to get to that little white house. And we were in a two-door Ford Escort hatchback. How we made it that far in that thing, I have no idea. But so then he he finds a tiny little road at the bottom of the seven. It's a tiny, abandoned, not used road. And we get on that road and we drive up to that place. And um, let's just say that that house was abandoned. Uh, it had been vandalized. And I believe it is the inspiration for all of the 1970s and early 1980s Wes Craven horror movies. Um, this is pre-Nightmare on Elm Street. So look up Wes Craven 1970s horror movies, and that's this house. Uh, he wanted to go through the house and stand on the front porch on the other side from where we were, on the other side of the mountain, looking out over the big valley, which he did. And he got a picture and he came back. And um, anyway, we were scared to death. There was a, a, a VW bug that was shot up, looked like it came out of a mobster movie. So, you know, we had reason to be afraid. But he came back, got this picture. And sure enough, from his perspective on the other side of that house, looking out of the valley, it was just gorgeous. Mm. Breathtaking view. Yes. And we made it down the hill alive. And um, so we could talk about it. But yeah, that was a that was a a, a frightening moment and a beautiful moment. <laughs> Never travel with cousin Randall. Okay, good. Good Pro to tip. know. Um, several years ago, I had the really wonderful opportunity to go to Thailand, and while I was there, I was in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and we went to the top of Dui Sutep Mountain, where there is an amazing, beautiful Buddhist temple that is golden. Like it is like the, everything is covered. I, I assume it's real gold. Wow. Um, and it's just gorgeous. And the, the point is you should go before sunrise so that you can see the sunrise and the way that it hits the, 
mm. the temple, the gold in the temple. And it's a 300 stair climb. Like you go up the mountain and we did have somebody drive us up the mountain and then you follow a trail and then you walk up 300 stairs um, to get to the temple. And it was breathtaking. Um, It just was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. It might have been the lack of oxygen and the (laughs) wind sucking due to the 300 stairs. But whatever caused the gorgeous view that I saw, um, it was worth it. (laughs) If you work with teenagers, you have several good mountain stories. It's true. Very true. But but rather than the one that first came to mind, I'll mention that there's one time we were at a camp at Estes Park, Colorado. And it was early August, really great warm weather. We were having a good time. We said, hey, why don't we, I think up there is is, uh, Rocky Mountains National Park. Why don't we drive up there real fast and see what this is like? Okay, sure. It's a national park. You know, we just want to say we've been there. So we get in the car and we drive. And soon we realized that, well, this road we thought that takes us up there stops about halfway up and turns into a gravel kind of road, (laughs) where if you look to your left, you see about a 10,000 foot drop or something. There's no guardrail. And so we're all clinging Ooh. to the side of the car on the way up there. So we oh, get to the top. No. I'm but we got nervous. to the top. We got to the top, nerves and all. And we jumped out the car. And we wanted to get the view from up here, the very tippy top of the mountains, and see what things are like. And we realized that in early August in Rocky Mountains National Park, it's not a good time to be wearing shorts and t shirts. Because <laughs> it was snowing when we jumped out of the car. <laughs> oh, no. So it was very cold up there. The view was great, but it was cold. And I think from that, if nothing else, we learned not to take it lightly when you're just going to go to the top of the mountain. There's a lot more to it than just going there. It's a good lesson. Uh, My my mountain memory, uh, of course, involves food. Of course. As it should. So we, Regina and I, had the pleasure of traveling to Italy with our son and his wife uh, a few years ago. And they are foodies. And I've probably mentioned this before, but so we were on a trip that was really about learning how they made these wonderful Italian foods, cheeses and pastas and the prosciutto and on and on. Well, there was one place we went up in northern Italy near the Italian Alps, which are stunning. And we ate at a restaurant that was right there at the foot of the mountains. And the restaurant was known for this phrase, which was cook the mountain. And so they tried to use as few ingredients as they could that weren't from the mountain or those, you know, the lands directly surrounding it. And, you know, and so we learned a lot just (laughs) from the meal because they would tell us, you know, here's, here's what you're eating and here's how it was made and here's where it came from in this area, um, blah, blah, blah. And it was fascinating. Uh, and and their point was that so often we don't pay attention to the foods that are indigenous to where we live, and that there's a lot of richness to that, and a, and frankly, a connection we can have to where we live, which I think is part of why when I travel anywhere, <laughs> I want to eat what's local, not yeah. you know. So yeah, the the moral of the story is if you have a lovely farm to table restaurant in your area, frequent it. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good word. Yeah. Well, gosh, mountains are, uh, they're beautiful. And yes, they can be frightening or cold <laughs> or golden. They can. <laughs> but they also show up in the scripture. And I think Bert is going to give us a look at one of those texts today. I am. We're, we're in the Gospel of Matthew. And 
the story is that we call the Transfiguration. Three of the four Gospels record this story, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Scholars call them the three synoptic Gospels, of which Mark, of course, is the first and the oldest. The Transfiguration story is not found in the Gospel according to John. So this makes this story one louder, if you will, maybe one gospel more important, who knows, than the birth narratives, because the birth narratives only appear in two gospels. But it does have an equal score, three out of four gospels agree, in the resurrection appearances. That is, if we agree that Mark's gospel stops with the empty tomb, no appearances, as the oldest and most reliable manuscripts suggest. In other words, this is a significant story in our Bible. This is a significant story in the life of Jesus for his followers and for the church past and the church present. Why? I think it has something to do with mountains. Mountains have a sort of mythical power to them. This is why David asked, what were our experiences or stories we have from mountains? We are drawn to mountains. And they do play an important part in our faith stories, many of our faith stories. It was on a mountain, Mount Horeb, that God called Moses. It was on a mountain, Mount Sinai, that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal and many others on Mount Carmel. One of Jesus' temptations was on an exceedingly high mountain. Our beloved Beatitudes in Matthew's Gospel, the the blessed ours, they come from Jesus' sermon on a mountain. Jesus was crucified on a mountain called Golgotha. The New Jerusalem we read about in Revelation is known as Mount Zion. Throughout the Bible, a mountain symbolizes things like stability, permanence, reliance, and God's power. And maybe God, God's self. And here in today's text, up high on a mountain, it is there that Peter, James, and John witness Jesus shine, a dazzling bright white light. And then they see the two greatest of all the Hebrew great prophets, Moses and Elijah, gathered there and speaking with Jesus. And then they hear the voice from the cloud speak to them, this is my son, the beloved Listen to him. Peter, James, and John, I think, in this story, stand in for us. We are there with him, with them, bickering among ourselves over who is more important, who deserves the positions of power in the earthly kingdoms we're trying to build, in God's name, of course. We are there with Peter, James, and John, who don't, like us, they don't seem very keen on the idea of self-sacrifice, or the way of suffering, or the way of the suffering servant Messiah, the one who chooses the way of the cross over the way of the sword. Peter, James, and John are there with us, and we are there with them because we all find it so easy to love Jesus when things are going great and miracles are happening and things are going according to our plans, which of course we believe to be God's plans. Matthew's gospel invites us along with Peter, James, and John to go high up on that mountain with Jesus and catch a glimpse 
of a Jesus who is bigger. A Jesus who is bigger than even our most important religious figures from our history and our most important doctrines and teachings and writings and faith stories. The transfiguration on that mountain reminds us that our God, who meets us through the Son, Jesus our Lord, is just bigger. There are a lot of great songs about mountains. Climb every mountain. Ain't no mountain high enough. Rocky Mountain High. Rocky Mountain Way. Big Rock County Mountain. One of my favorite loud and fast, straightforward rock and roll songs is called Mississippi Queen, which is not about a mountain, but it's by a great rock band called Mountain. And then there's one of my favorite not as loud and not as fast, not rock and roll songs, Amy Grant's classic, El Shaddai which is an ancient Hebrew name for God. And in the ancient Hebrew, El Shaddai relates God to great mountains, as well as to other mountain-like imagery. But I'll stop there. But the song most relevant to our gospel text today, I think, is from our good friend Daniel Bailey. We'll add a link to a YouTube video of his song titled, appropriately enough, The Mountain. So you can hear it, and perhaps you'll show it to your group or class, a part of this conversation. The mountain is calling, Daniel Bailey sings. Travelers take to the road. Oh, the mountain is calling. Traveler, it's time to come home. Come home to find the God that is bigger than the sum of our deeds, the taker of fears the giver of dreams, the God that is bigger than the plans we have made, than the bombs in the sky or the flags that we wave. Peter, James, and John were songwriters. They might have written those very words. The mountain is calling. Come home to find the God who is bigger. When we're talking about you know songs by the artist formerly known as James Daniel Lee Bailey, uh, we have before we came on, we were talking about the fact that the song has been meaningful enough to us that we have more than one copy of a video for this. We've made these for our churches because we're trying to get this message across, and I think that speaks a little bit to how important this message is. You know that the implication of what happens on this mountain. And the image of Christ that that gives us is so out of the ordinary that we walk around with all the time. It's There's something special there. There's something larger there that we don't normally think about when we're talking about Jesus. And while a lot of the story is about coming down from the mountain and not living in that space anymore and moving on, sometimes it's important just to stop it and admit that, hey, there was a time on the mountain too, you know, that Jesus actually is this big, that there is a level of greatness to him that we take for granted because we don't talk about Jesus in those terms very often. I was thinking about that too. So I was thinking about how I had lots of, you know, quote unquote, mountaintop experiences when I was a teenager. Um, I was very involved in my youth group. It was, we had a, a large and very active youth group and we went on camp and retreat. And it was either like climbing a mountain or sitting around a campfire. 
and singing songs and sharing about what we had seen God doing during our camper retreat. And you would just feel so spiritually full. Um, You would feel like your life had changed. And as I got older, I began to look back at those experiences with suspicion, maybe, right? Like kind of look back to my earlier Christian days and think, oh, that's just a mountaintop experience. Doesn't really mean anything um, because it's not your everyday experience. And that's what matters. And as I and then I got even older so I can talk about like when I got a little older and then a lot older. I started kind of coming back to those experiences and realizing they have value that they shaped and formed and molded me into the person that I am now. And that I think that to continue to deny myself experiences like that is, is not something I want to do anymore. Um, It's I want to engage and let myself be completely filled by the space that I am, by the people that I am with, by the God that I serve, and that there is purpose in that. One, it fills us up in a way that sustains us through harder times, but it also, I think, it's a place where we can hear more clearly when God is speaking to us. And it is a place that can shape and mold who we are. So, yeah, I think um, we should all go and keep looking for those mountaintop experiences. Yeah, I, I remember preaching so many times about how we have to come down from the mountain. I don't remember preaching so much about how we have to get to the mountain. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, always on the last night of camp and youth group, it was talking about going back down. We got to go back and we where things are hard. And and that's true, but it doesn't negate the need to go away. Jesus pulled away all the time. Jesus went to be by himself with God on the regular. Why should we not also do that? Another thing about mountains is when we are able to experience the world from atop a mountain, when we have a an experience there. Part of it, I think, is that we see the world differently from a mountain. Um, you see farther, mm-hmm. uh, assuming the weather allows, right? Right. Uh, we, we, we will look for those, you know, where you could pull your car off and take the overlook <laughs> over yeah. a particularly high point because you get to see the trees and the valleys and the streams and the canyon and the, you know, whatever's there, you get a perspective for the size, the scale, the way things fit together, that it's hard to get when you're down in the forest or, mm-hmm. or on the stream, you know? And I think with this passage, we can imagine that those who experience this with Jesus, this was a memory, right? They perceived him differently mm-hmm. after this than before. And I guess part of what I hear us discussing today is that that's that's actually important for us as well, that we need those bigger perspectives of Jesus. They help us to see uh, our journey of faith differently, to understand Christ differently and bigger, as Bert says. And so I, 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 think, I think there's something to that. I'm not sure where else I'd, I'd pull on that thread, but we see differently from from the mountain. 
I think it's important to add and, and remind ourselves that in the text, in the story, Peter, James, and John, when, when all this happens and the voice comes and speaks from the clouds, I mean, it's, it's a great thing when they get down. You know, we talk about the experience, but nevertheless, it's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Because things happen up there that challenge how they understand themselves, what they know. They're beyond the power of themselves, mm-hmm. and they are at loss of power. And I think that even our most important and most memorable and most exciting high mountaintop experiences, if they're transformative, there is a strong element of no control. Mm. And yeah. that mm. something about me, whether it's how I perceive, we talked about perceiving, how I perceive the world, how I perceive God, how I perceive my role, uh, how I perceive God's work in the world. Is this an earthly kingdom we're trying to build with power and might? Whatever, how we deal with money, how we deal with others, everything that we bring with us up on that mountain is at risk of being stripped away or reaffirmed or stripped away and replaced. I mean, just, <laughs> but that's a terrifying place to be. And um, I think at that moment, you know, when we really get and we're, we're looking at the glory of Christ, uh, surrounded by the witnesses of, of the faith, and the voice of God through the clouds. I mean, that's just there's a moment there when we can't there's nothing left to say except just awe. And that mm-hmm. that level of, of fear or, or terror, holy, holy terror. Mm-hmm. Not that we're going to be destroyed, but that something about us is not going to be the same. Which is why in verse 7, Jesus it says, Jesus came and touched them, saying, get up and do not be afraid. Yeah. Which it's another one of those don't be afraid moments. It's wonderful, but like you say, threatening and terrifying. As I listen to you say this, I'm, I'm hearing a movement being described a bit too. Like there's this movement towards a faith that is comfortable for us. You know, something that we can go to every day in the same way and know what to expect and know how it's supposed to feel and know how close we can be and all that. We tend to crave that sort of safety and that kind of regularity in everything, especially in faith. But a mountaintop experience not only challenges that, but it brings meaning to all this effort and all the things we're going through. It, it's more than just the everyday. There's something meaningful that happened there that's got much more depth to it than just everyday life. And we're not real comfortable thinking about the meaning questions. What do you, y'all think Jesus's experience of it was? Nikki, I've never had that question asked. I've never heard it asked. I've never really? thought about it. Uh, I always wonder what's going through his head when he's standing up there. like. I, I, you know, I think it's sort of, and because it echoes, because it echoes what what we read about in the baptism. Right. This is my beloved son. I I think there's, this is like another, another baptism uh, moment of, of just. Affirmation. Affirmation. This is who you are. You're in this big, bigger picture of God's work. And, uh, you know, here's Moses and Elijah to say hi. (laughs) so So do you think he thought about this when the road got really hard do you think he thought about this experience when he was arrested 
you know, if 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 we if we take seriously that he was fully human as well as fully divine, and but take right. seriously tempted in every way, and we do see um, his not wanting to go forward, his right. the, the, the struggle in the the Garden of Gethsemane, the crying out on the cross, "Why did you forsake me?" Yeah, I think he probably did, and just like we get into dark times and mm-hmm. and in the wilderness and we look back to these high moments and say, okay, I remember this experience with God. Maybe I think he did. I it would so. it certainly makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> kind of what are the opposite? Like, does this tend to amp up his frustration a little bit? I mean, like, okay, here's, here's an experience of what should be happening, what the world should be like. And yeah. now as we're acting this out, it's not going that way at all. And so when you get to the whole being forsaken on the cross thing, you're like, well, this was not what was going on up the mountain. This is totally different. True. Wow. There's got to be some frustration. That end, you know, yeah. who, are these, who are these goomers trying to build cabins up here on top of the mountain? I know. Be going here on? I am <laughs> hanging out with Moses and Elijah. And now I got to go back down with I Peter, James, and John. What? I thought I was done. I'll leave these guys. Send me Moses and Elijah. <laughs> yeah. I gotta go That's back great, to Peter, David. James, Thank and you. John. <laughs> and, and they were three of the brighter ones. I got a whole nine other numbskulls right? down there waiting for me. <laughs> numbskulls. That's a good word for the disciples. He had to go touch them, tell them not to be afraid. I mean, you think they want to see Elijah and Moses. Right? <laughs> and we're right there with them. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> you set a table. You set a place for Elijah every Passover. <laughs> you want to see him. <laughs> Or do you? Or do you? <laughs> no. We never thought this would really happen. <laughs> I can't help but remember from this conversation this this notion that we are transformed or can be transformed when we are uh, seeing things from the perspective of a mountaintop. And that we often do go through, as Bert was saying, Uh, our lives with our way of seeing things and thinking about things. And we may need the experience of being on the mountain to shake us up, maybe even scare us a little that, that the way we think things are, the way we think Jesus is might not be big enough. It's a, it's an experience. I hope we all can have over and over again. (laughs) And as we see in the text uh, to not be afraid. It's going to be okay. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.